You're listening to a sermon from Providence Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information about our church, please visit church-kc.com or come and visit on a Sunday morning. Sunday School for All Ages starts at 9 a.m. and our worship begins at 1015. Thanks for listening. I am honored to be here with you guys today, as I am every Sunday, but this Sunday is very special because all across the nation, uh, youth pastors, associate pastors, staff pastor like me, um, and Stephen, Stephen's a staff pastor too, we get to preach because the first Sunday after New Year's is the low attendance Sunday of the year. (laughs) Yes. So low in attendance, in fact, that our senior pastor is nowhere to be found. Um... He's somewhere in North Carolina. But when the senior pastor is away, the youth pastor gets to play and uh, preach the sermon. So um, as always, I'm honored with this opportunity to open the word with you guys this morning. As the slide on the screen tells you, we will be in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I can read. Uh, I definitely know what text we're reading today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the sermon. Father God, thank you for this opportunity just to preach your word. Please be with me as I open the text, as I expound upon it. I pray that everything I say, it, it just comes from you, God. And if there's anything in this sermon that isn't Christ-focused, that isn't glorifying to you, honestly, I pray it goes in one ear and out the other that these people just won't even, won't even catch what that thing is. Because uh, I want you to be glorified, God. I want you to be the message that's proclaimed today, nothing else. Thank you for all you do for us. In your name I pray, amen. All right. So it's a new year, January 1st. New year, new me. Lots of us are thinking about New Year's resolutions, right? Just in, in youth today, we played a game in which we all had to write our New Year resolution. Now, I, I wrote a joking one, um, and of course, the kids got, got me immediately. I wrote, sin more. You know, okay, it was a joke, okay? Please, I, please don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not praying to sin. I'm not asking to sin more in my New Year's resolution. Uh, we were supposed to make jokingly resolutions. And uh, a lot of us are making those. In fact, when I was in ninth grade, I was a freshman in high school, I, I made a New Year's resolution flashcard, and I put it in the back of my phone case right here. It's a clear phone case. It wasn't blue and marbly like this one is. And on that uh, flashcard with my New Year's resolutions, I, have I shared this before? I wrote like, don't sin. That was one of my New Year's resolutions. Don't sin. Uh, unfortunately, that year, I did, not, I did not complete that resolution. You know, I don't think many of us can complete a resolution that just says, don't sin. But we're making these resolutions. We all have a list of things we want to do. Maybe it is uh, get shredded. Maybe it is grow a beard. Maybe it is go to the gym more, work out, read your Bible. Hopefully there are good ones. Um, We're trying to kind of reinvent ourselves at this time of year to become a newer, better person. And so as this sermon that I'm about to preach as I've been preparing for it this week and as the new year has come, I've been asking myself some of these questions about, like, how can I be a newer, better person? There's not much that I personally can do. We know that Jesus has made us a new person if we have faith in him, but there are some questions that I ask myself, and maybe you're asking yourself these questions too. Have, have you been stuck 
battling the same old sins? Do you worry about how to make a true difference, not just in your own life, but in the lives of others, of those that you come across? Are are you unsure of what the right thing to focus on is? Are you comfortable to share the gospel with people? Uh, Or are you so nervous because you're ill-prepared and you don't know the right arguments? Have you been struggling with what the mission of, what the purpose of a small group is, or what your purpose is in your local workplace, or even, big picture, what the mission of our church is? I believe that our passage today actually has answers to all of these questions. When we open up 1 Corinthians, I think what Paul says here really will answer those. Not just for me, as I ask myself those questions this week, but for you guys, if you're asking similar questions as you're thinking about what to focus on in this new year. And so when we get to that, we'll, we'll see those answers. Because this text tells us what our true focus should be, no matter where we are. If we're at church, if we're at school, if we're at church functions, if we're at our jobs, whatever it is, Paul tells us what to focus on in order to make a true difference. Now, as noted by our title of our sermon, And because this is a Sunday morning and I am preaching a sermon, I'm not going to bury the lead here. I'll tell you, it's a very church answer, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the difference maker. He is what makes the difference in your life. He is the answer to how you fight the same old sins, how you make a true difference, what you focus on, how to share the gospel. He gives you the courage. What the mission of our church is, is Jesus Christ. And so, let's look at it. Let's see how Christ is the big difference maker and see what Paul has to teach us about what does and doesn't make the difference. So hopefully, that introduction was long enough that you have all opened your Bibles and are going to read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All right. So today in our sermon, I just wanted to give you a little warning. For those of you who have a little bit more linear of a mind, that's not how we're going to read our, our text this week. That's not how I've structured my sermon. Um, it's, we're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to start in verse 1, no problem. We're going to skip verse 2, and we're going to come back to that later. We're going to read 3 and 4, and then we're going to read 5 and go back to 2. Does that make sense? Everybody ready? Okay. So let's, let's look at what doesn't make the difference. That's what Paul has to teach us in verses 1, 3, and 4. And before I get too deep in the sermon, I do want to make it very clear to you guys that what I'm saying here is not that we should ignore these things that don't make the difference. I'm not saying that. Some of the things that I will say don't make the difference are good things that we can focus on and are good things to look at, but they shouldn't be priority number one. 
That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't prioritize this over other things. So, even though they're good and helpful to do, let's look at what doesn't make the difference. Firstly, we've got our methods, and then secondly, we've got our arguments. First, we're gonna talk about how our methods don't make the difference. That comes from verse one and three. And see here, again, let's look back at the text. Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And then skipping to verse three, he says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Friends, I'm sure we've all been told at one point or another that first impressions matter. They really matter. And in fact, this week, um, I read an article about how to make a lasting first impression. And here's what the article said. Because they are largely subconscious, first impressions are very persistent, persistent, I can read, Even in the face of contrary evidence, because of our implicit biases and our cognitive biases, we see the world and other people through our own set of filters and make decisions based on them. Lofty language, huh? Half of those words I don't recognize, and I'm a a teacher. I probably shouldn't say that. Um, But So they gave us nine tips to make a lasting first impression. Make eye contact. Smile. Dress for the occasion. Be authentic. Be a good communicator. Use positive body language. Be empathetic. Do your research and act confidently. That's what this article teaches us. After they use their lofty language paragraph, they get to nine easy steps to make a lasting first impression. Now, when I read those nine steps, almost none of what that article talks about reflects what Paul just said he did when he came to the church at Corinth. I don't know, um, act confidently doesn't really go with, uh, I was with you in weakness and in fear and trembling, you know? Positive body language, I don't know if trembling, if I was up here shaking my knees, I don't know how many of you would listen to me, really? You know, like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, which is a really fun passage to preach on, you know, like, like, Paul is saying, I didn't come to you with with good body language or good words. Like, that's not how I came. And so it's it's really weird. Like, do I do I try with good words, big words? Or do I like, am I supposed to come up here and shake? Should I've had a second cup of coffee, so I'm very shaky, so you know that I'm living out this passage? I don't know, it's fun. So <clears throat> Paul is 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 not quite living up to making a good first impression. And this is even more crazy because if you look at that day and age, there's some very popular people in Corinth. And these people are uh, philosophers and sophists, and um, I think I'm going to create a word here. Maybe it's a real word. Rhetoricians. Um, But these people are good with their words. Corinth loves people like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and all of these people with 15-syllable names. He loves, they love them. And that's, that's Corinth. They just love to sit around and argue with big words and try to stump people. And I don't know, like, was there not any other form of entertainment? Like, to just sit around and watch other people argue? Oh, actually, that's kind of social media, isn't it? Um, just watching people argue, that's how we get our entertainment today. But 
Paul's not saying, I came to you like the Corinthians like to be. I didn't come to you to argue. I didn't come to you to use lofty language that convinces you of things. I didn't create this wonderful argument or methodology to convince you that Jesus is the Son of God who died for you. That's not my focus here. They, in Corinth, they love lofty language. They love speech. They love people who don't tremble, who aren't scared. But that's, that's not Paul. That's not what Paul's saying he did here. He's not arguing. He's not there to debate. It's like if you watch early morning ESPN and you, if you see, um, what's his name, Stephen Smith, all that man loves to do is argue. Um, I used to work at a gym, and that was the first thing on every morning, and you would just hear Stephen Smith argue for hours on end, and that's not what Paul came to do with the church at Corinth. When he came to Corinth, he came to be real. He did be authentic. He did his research. Yeah, he knew that they loved to argue, but he said, that's not, that's not for me. I'm not going to use that lofty language. I'm not going to use $15 words to convince you of anything. In fact, one commentary, I really like this. He said that the the word that Paul uses in the Greek for lofty language, it could translate to a much better word, a word that I wish my Bible said, highfalutin. Paul didn't come to use no highfalutin speech with the Corinthians. He came to speak the language of the commoners, the people. He came to share just truthfully with them. So what Paul is saying is it doesn't matter how grand your speech is. It doesn't matter what type of methodologies you use. You don't have to use a crazy concept from above the stars in order to share the gospel with people. You just have to step out in courage and share the gospel. You see, at seminary, you learn a lot of good things. You learn a lot of great stuff. Took a philosophy class, learned a lot about Socrates and Aristotle and Plato, read a really good book called From Plato to Christ. Um, There's good stuff there. You learn a lot of rhetoric. You learn how to speak good. I obviously did not do good at that class. Um, And you learn a lot of methodology. I know some seminary students who could string together a 50-point argument to prove without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is God from from nothing to to an atheist who believes that this world just kind of happened. From that to prove without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is God. And they're ready, and they could do that. But also, some of those seminary students have never gone out and shared the gospel. They never leave the classroom. And so what Paul is saying is, like, those methodologies, those words that you can string together, they're good. You could focus on them. Those are very helpful. But don't lose sight of the important thing. Don't get so caught up in the wordsmithing. That doesn't make a difference. Even in a place like Corinth that loves to argue, even in a place where people can wordsmith really well, and they are rhetoricians. So let me ask you, what sort of methods, what sort of highfalutin speech are you using in the hopes that it makes a difference? Is it taking the place of your primary focus? There are churches out there that have tons of great methodologies and tons of bad methodologies, um, some that they use to bring in people. 
Like, look at the attractional church model. If we make a church that people want to go to, it'll be great. You know, like, with our Sunday sermons, we're going to show clips of movies. Or, when we do that, we're going to cook popcorn, and everybody in their seats can have popcorn, and they can drink soda, which, by the way, um, sign me up for, please. I would love to just chow down on some popcorn while Walter's preaching on a typical Sunday. Uh, But... That's what they focus on. Let's, let's make a church that draws people in. Let's, let's make a youth group that plays games and never opens the Bible. Let's have a coffee bar. Not that the coffee bar is bad. Let's have a coffee bar with a paid barista who can make wonderful drinks, and then people will come to church because they can get a cup of coffee. Or let's have donuts every morning in Sunday school, so that way they'll actually show up. Or let's have a pastor who's very funny, or who's who's really good at speaking, and he can draw people in because he's a very great motivational speaker. And that will, that will make our church grow. And it could. It could make your church grow. And population, I'm not going to say it's going to grow spiritually. But that's not what Paul is teaching. And that's not what the Bible says makes the difference. Paul, the super apostle who wrote a large portion of our New Testament, says language doesn't matter that much. I'm scared, I'm weak, I'm trembling. See, by the will of God, Paul was called to be an apostle. And what Paul preaches, we learn in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, is a stumbling block, a folly to people who think they are wise. Paul is fearful and unimpressive. He doesn't speak with great eloquence. He doesn't speak with worldly wisdom, but he does speak a good gospel. He does speak a good message. See, God chose a person like him so that the message of Christ crucified will be seen rather than the messenger. And friends, God has called you, despite any inadequacies you might feel, any fears, any trembling, any feelings that you have about your weaknesses in order to proclaim a good gospel. We're all called to proclaim that gospel, that gospel of Christ crucified. So trust in God. See, I think our methods place too much importance on ourselves. We come with a focus on ourselves with those methodology. We we come with a focus on those words that we can string together. Don't worry too much about the methods. Don't worry too much about the words. Don't be inauthentic when you come. Just proclaim the gospel, and all other things come second. Just a couple months ago, I witnessed some of our youth go to a nice evangelism conference, and then I got to witness some of our youth go out to a public park and just share the gospel with people. I know at the beginning of that weekend, uh, the Fusion Youth Weekend, some of our youth were very nervous. They were scared because they knew that they were going to be expected to talk to people they didn't know about the gospel. But I also witnessed them uh, have two-hour conversations with guys who wanted to debate with them about uh, the creation of the world and if, if Jesus had a, had a side piece um, or whatever it was. And even though they were scared and they were trembling, I'm very proud of the youth that came to that because they got to step out They didn't have the methodology, they didn't have the words, but they trusted in their God who did, who had prepared them to get to that point. And that's what Paul is saying. 
Don't trust too much on those things. Trust in Christ. Okay, let's move on to our second point of what doesn't make the difference, our arguments. See, in verse 4, we see that Paul tells us that his speech and his message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Once again, people get so focused on the logic and arguments of sharing the gospel that two things happen. They prepare so much, they get so focused on that, that they never actually go and share the gospel. They use it as an excuse to never go and proclaim, oh, I'm just not ready. I just have a little bit more to prepare. Once I get this argument down pat, then I can go out and share it. Or I've seen other people who string an argument together so well, they kind of forget that the people that they're called to go share the gospel with are broken people in need of Christ. They see these people as people that they need to debate, that they need to argue with. And they're looking for an argument to be had. And Paul is saying, don't focus on the argument either. Don't focus on that argument. Focus on Christ. Maybe if we focused less on arguments on the plausible words of wisdom and more on the spirit and power, the church would not be a a place that's dying in America today. Today, less people are attending church than ever. And that's not just because it's low attendance Sunday, not because they're just on Christmas break or on vacation or traveling, because plenty of churches are focusing on the wrong things. They're focusing on what doesn't make a difference Those methodologies and those arguments come first over the important part. Church attendance is down. Tithing is down. Churches are closing more each year than there are opening. We're slowly becoming a post-Christian nation, where being a Christian is a minority to be because we're not focusing on the right things. We're not making the primary things primary. So what's the thing that we should be focusing on? What should you be focusing at no matter where you go? If you're at work, if you're at your small group, if you're here at church, is it go and learn the right arguments in order to share the gospel? Is it to go and have the best methodology for your small group, to read all the right books? Is it spending hours reading those books over and over so you know step one to step 50 how to make a perfect disciple? Who? can write a New Year's resolution that says don't sin and get away with it and actually not sin? Or is it focusing on Christ, proclaiming his name and his crucifixion, proclaiming the testimony of God? These other things, you can read books. They're very good books. They are helpful. They help your spiritual life. If you want to learn about things, you can seek them out to deepen your own spiritual growth. But they are not the primary. They are not the first things. Paul didn't proclaim plausible words. He didn't string together a good argument. He proclaimed Christ. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, what are we proclaiming to others? Are you proclaiming somebody who can make a good argument, who can string together good words, who can speak good Are you proclaiming a gospel of words and worldly wisdom? Are you proclaiming a gospel of self-help that, like, you could pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you're great and you're good and you're awesome and you're powerful and whatever you want to do is awesome? 
Are you naming and claiming, as um, our friend down in Houston likes to say? Whatever you believe enough, you can have. God, if you believe hard enough that God will give you all that you desire, is that the message you proclaim to the world? Is that the message you proclaim to people? When you say, I am a Christian, when you say, I love God, is that what you say is most important to Christianity? Or is your message not of plausible words of wisdom, but of spirit and power, of Christ crucified, that Christ died for us? We wonder why we get so stuck in a rut of sin and helplessness, why we can't get out of that which we're fighting. I think it's because we focus on these arguments and methods. I think, again, in my own life, I made that resolution years ago in ninth grade that said, don't sin. I made an action plan in order to combat every sin that I was facing in my life in ninth grade. And it was like a step one to step 50. Okay, if if you're feeling tempted to be angry at somebody, this is what you're going to do. If you're feeling tempted to kick over a sandcastle, this is what you're going to do. Whatever it is, we create these action plans. We focus on the methods. We focus on the arguments rather than Christ. Some of you are wondering why you're stuck in that sin. Why you wake up every day and you turn back to angry, to anger, to lust, to laziness. Why you always have anger in your heart. Why you're unable to read more than a page of your Bible at a time. Why you continue to place idols in your life. Why you are so prideful and so much more than that. You ask yourself this every day. Friends, we make it so complicated. We make it so difficult We can have an action plan. Don't get me wrong. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying make Christ step one of your action plan. Christ comes first. Turn to God. He makes the difference. And that's point number two today. What does make the difference? Our God makes the difference. So going back to verse two and verse five, we see what Paul says. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then skipping down to verse 5, he says, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's motives here are the difference maker. Not his arguments, not his methods, not his explanations, but his motives. And what is his motive? to make Christ known. And not just to make Christ known, to make nothing except Christ known and him crucified. What motivates you? Why do you do the things that you do? Paul states that his motive for everything in coming to Corinth especially was to make Christ known, to proclaim Christ crucified. Paul is not only focused on proclaiming the gospel, but making it central to all things that he does. Paul understands one thing that we need to understand today, that God makes the difference. Let me let you you in, that's a good sentence, let me let you in on a little industry secret. The Bible and the church have something that no one else does. 
we have a message of hope of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for the sins of the world. Paul states elsewhere in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, people can go anywhere for fellowship. They can have a good time with friends wherever they go. You can make friends at your work, at your school. You can go eat food wherever you are. You can play board games. You can watch a football game. You can play charades. You can have a great time wherever you are. These things are available anywhere. But Christ crucified, this message of hope, can only be proclaimed from this. This is what we have that is unique and special, our Bible. This is something that nobody can get anywhere else. I mean, you could buy a Bible anywhere, but that's where the message comes from. We focus so much on these things that people can get anywhere. And again, please don't get me wrong. These are good things. Have fun. Again, the youth, every time we meet, we play games together. We have a fun time. But you know what else we do every time we meet together? We read the Bible. And we learn the message that God has for us from his word. We make this central. Even though we have fellowship, we eat food, we play games, we often play uh, Pictionary, not charades. <clears throat> so have your fun, play your games, eat your food, have good fellowship, but take the Bible seriously. When you meet, carve out a time where you intentionally share the gospel and read the Bible. If this is at your small group, if this is in your ministry, if that's at your job, if that's at school, wherever that may be, find a way to make a life known where you proclaim Christ, Christ crucified, the testimony of God. Make nothing known except for Christ. The foundation of Paul's teaching was to make Christ known, and the foundation of your lives should be too, to make Christ known. This is why Paul states above in 1 Corinthians 18 through 31, I'm not going to read all of that, where he speaks about this. In summary, he says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The world did not know God, therefore, through wisdom. Instead, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And that is why we preach Christ crucified. Because of God, we have a relationship with him that may seem weak and foolish. But because it seems so weak and foolish, and sometimes we feel weak and foolish, we can boast only in the power of Jesus' death on the cross for us. So where shall wisdom truly be found? Where can we find the difference maker in our lives, in our church, in our mission? Christ crucified. Just as this motivates Paul, this message of Christ crucified, we should desire to make Christ known through all that we do. It shouldn't be just what motivates us, but as we learn from verse 5, it should be our sole focus. And that's what he says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our focus makes the difference. Paul has shown us throughout this passage what to and what not to focus on. 
We don't focus on lofty words of wisdom, of lofty speech. We don't focus on our methods. We don't focus on our mannerisms of being fearful, of being trembling or weak. That's going to happen. We don't focus on fantastic presentations of the gospel. You can make fantastic presentations of the gospel. All of this, again, good. Rather, we focus solely on Christ alone, on his crucifixion, and we focus on God's power to save. Why is this? I think Paul makes it clear in verse 5. A fantastic presentation, the best mannerisms, lofty speech can only lead to one thing, prideful ambitions and a focus on the self. Too many focus on the numbers. Too many say, I've preached the gospel to over 10 million people and 18 million people have been saved because of me. Human words of wisdom, no matter how impressive and persuasive, can never save a person. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Once again, what a humbling thing to read about when preaching a sermon. How do I string together a 25, 30, 40-minute sermon of words that I've carefully crafted over the past week to share with you the gospel, but also recognize that the words don't truly matter. It makes it really weird. It makes it really weird to stand up here behind this, um, what does Walter call it, a holy desk, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> Why am I up here? To make Christ known. Why did I string together this argument? Because it's okay to string together an argument, but the purpose was to make Christ known to share the testimony of God with the little language that I can use. Thankfully, the Bible gives us a great responsibility to make Christ known, to make nothing known except for Christ. Paul says elsewhere in Romans 10, 13 through 15, he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Just as, is, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So thankfully, my words don't matter, but I'm still called to make him known. My arguments don't need to be tight and perfect because Christ works through all of these things. As long as our focus and our goal and our mission, our motive, is to make Christ known. And there's a benefit to it. If you preach the gospel of good news, of good things, you have beautiful feet. You're welcome. Congratulations, everybody who shares the gospel, who takes that step of courage. You have beautiful feet. You don't even need to go to a, a pedicurist. Uh, you're fine. We're called to preach the gospel at all times. And just go even farther than that old phrase people hear. You know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. I think this verse tells us that it is extremely necessary to use words. People can't hear unless they're told. But good news, if, like I said, you got beautiful feet as a result. So our faith, our focus, our motives rest alone in the power of God. Because if anybody can be convinced by human words 
Unfortunately, that means they can be convinced out of it by human words as well. That's not your foundation. Your foundation is not human words. Your foundation is the power and spirit of God. In fact, Paul tells us, watch out for those who are good with words. In Romans 16, 18, he says, watch out for smooth talkers and flatterers. Which definitely means, by the way, that all of you can trust me. Not much of a smooth talker. Uh, Hopefully, Stephanie thinks I'm flattering, but um, I'm not a flatterer either. So you guys can trust me, right? That's what that means. Because to the world, our argument is folly. It's what 1 Corinthians 18 says. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. All of this to say, friends, as we go about our lives, be motivated by Christ alone. Focused on Christ alone. The motives, the methods, the explanations, the arguments, they're good, they're helpful. But for our spiritual growth, we must trust in Christ first. They are not the power to believe. These don't save anybody. Christ does. Paul later says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received and which you also stand by which you are also saved. If you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Because I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Skipping down to verse 10 and 11, he says, By by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So the first importance is that Christ died for our sins, that he was raised on the third day to save you. That's first importance. And then we go out. We proclaim this message. We proclaim that Christ died for people. We make that the foundation of everything we do. Okay, so as we close today, we learned a couple of things. We learned that Christ makes the difference. We learned that the mission of the church is to proclaim Christ crucified. That the power of the cross is what helps us battle sin, it helps us focus, it motivates us. And that the death of Christ paid the debt of our sin. The death of Christ paid the debt of our sin. Christ died so we may live. So as we go into the new year, let us refocus our mission to proclaim Christ amongst the nations, to make Christ known at our workplace, with our friends, at school, wherever we go. Make Christ the foundation. You can have the fellowship, you can have the fun, you can have the games. I highly encourage that. But Christ crucified is of first importance. Let's make the church a place where we can rely truly on God's wisdom, on God's power, and God's spirit. Not on the words of man, but right here on the word of God. All right. Remember, we can't save a single person. Yet, we are responsible for sharing the gospel. God alone has the the power to save. So with God's power, there must also come great responsibility. Take that, Spider-Man. That's a better phrase. So, if you're here today battling the same old sins, if you are looking for the difference maker, know that it is Christ. 
you want to make a change in your life today, if you've been battling sin in your life and you cannot do so alone any longer, God is here for you. Let me make that known. Christ died on the cross for your sins. He was raised on the third day, and he is sitting at the right hand of God right now, and he knows your name. The God of the universe who created everything knows you, cares about you. So turn to him in faith today. If you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, as the band comes up for their final song, I'll be here. I can pray with you. You can come pray among these uh, stairs if you want, um, or you can pray in your seat. It doesn't matter. Just pray to God. Start that relationship today. Don't delay it, okay?